0: this week on Hope for the Broken. God has designed the marriage relationship. The Bible doesn't say that over the course of time, Adam came up with a really great idea, fell head over heels for Eve and decided to propose for her and that these two created what would be known as the marriage relationship. No, marriage is God's idea. He's the designer. If God is the designer of marriage, then God alone is the definer of marriage. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we begin a new sermon series called Biblical Family in a Modern World. In this 10-part sermon series, we explore how God's original design of the family can still thrive even in today's modern world. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part one titled, The Design. Listen, today we're kicking off a brand new series of sermons that we're entitled, A Biblical Family in a Modern World. And we're going to be taking a look at several key uh, issues that surround living and operating according to God's design for the family. We're going to be studying topics like romance and marriage, family, kids, and even leaving a lasting legacy. Today, we're going to talk about marriage in a message that I've entitled, The Design. The Design. Now, I know that in the room today, I'm talking to many different people. I know some of you may be single in the room and you may be thinking, well, goodness, I could check out for this entire series because I am neither married nor do I have kids at home. So here's the thing that I would tell you. Uh, statistics still tell us that the vast majority of those that are single desire to be married. And if that is your hope, is that, if that is your goal to eventually one day have a home, there's no better time than to prepare and, and lay a foundation for that than right now. Uh, in, in your life. I know also some of you may be single parents, and you may be saying, well, where do I fit in this picture? And I know that even mentioning the idea of marriage and, and family may conjure up uh, some, some feelings of brokenness in the area of your life. Can I just tell you something? God loves you. God sees you. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and He can leverage your family life for good in the life of yourself and your kids. In fact, many scholars believe that Jesus spent the bulk of his time growing up in a single-parent family, that that his dad Joseph went to be with the Lord uh, shortly after he he was born. And so you think about one of the most influential people in the world, the Lord Jesus himself, raised in a single-parent home. And so I want you to know that there is hope for you. And so I'm excited about studying this this, uh, topic with that said, I want to invite you to to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter two. We're going to be in verses eighteen through twenty five of Genesis chapter two, and so you can turn there, uh, and we'll get there in just a moment. I'm just curious, how many of you by a show of hands, that you've ever purchased anything from IKEA? Okay. All right. Ikea is a pretty cool store. You know, you're walking through the store and, and I realize nobody goes to stores anymore. Right. So even if you're browsing online, you know, you're looking at this furniture and you're thinking, man, that furniture looks kind of uh, stylish and and man, it's at a really good price. And and so you go to pick out the the thing that correlates to your the furniture that you have selected and you realize that it's a box and you begin to realize how in the world does a sofa fit in the size of a box made for a TV, right? And then it hits you. They give you all the supplies, but you have to put it together, right? I can remember we bought some some furniture from Ikea one time and and we're putting it together. I think it was bunk beds for our boys. And uh, I was putting it together. And, and, you know, it, it can be a frustrating experience putting together furniture from Ikea because the instructions are in another language, and and it's like reading ancient hieroglyph- hieroglyphics, you know. And you're trying to figure it all out. And finally, you just fold the instruction manual. And you're like, "Hey, I'm a guy. I got this, right? I can figure it out." And so you start working hard, and only to be frustrated, right? And you're like, "I don't know which piece goes where. Is this A or is this Z? I don't know what piece this is." And and usually, I start putting things together. And what what is the first thing you notice once you kind of get it assembled? There's extra parts, right? Like. Why are there extra parts? And it's usually at that moment, right? You've worked through the frustration, you battled through the frustration that my wife walks in and she says, why are there extra parts? I mean, they shouldn't give you extra parts. Are you sure you put that thing together properly? I'm not sitting on that. Are you sure it's not upside down? And you begin to question every decision that you've ever made in your life, right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's all because of a failure to understand the instructions, Well, the same is true when it comes to marriage and family. I believe that we live in a society that is frustrated. I believe the vast majority of people are looking for directions on how to order their family, how to live out their marriage. And in many ways, our culture has so hijacked and twisted what God has invented. And we have allowed Hollywood to speak louder than God's voice on this matter. And that, my friends, had led to frustration and confusion in our society. So over the next several weeks, we're going to really dive in here. We're going to turn to God's instruction manual, His holy word, the infallible and errant word of God, to find timeless truths on how to order our family and our marriages. And I also want to uh, encourage you to grab this resource. Our kids ministry is passing this out down there. I think Pastor Jeff may have some here in the lobby. But this is a piece that our team has put together called Have a Convo. And on the back, there are discussion starters for you to have with your family, your kids, your grandkids. And then there are pressing in questions that will really take your conversations to another level and give you the opportunity to be able to dive into meaningful conversations within your home. If if you can't find one today, if we run out or something like that, you can download a copy on our website at trinitytx.org slash family. And there you'll find that resource and we'll be building that page to feature additional resources to be able to minister to the entire family. Something that I'm really, really excited about. But our text this morning, Genesis 2, is the primary source, the primary reference to the idea of Marriage. Now, in a, in, a, in a series on a biblical family, why would you start in marriage? Well, I believe that marriage is foundational. It is the building blocks by which the family is constructed, in God's view, and the family serves as the underpinnings of society, the foundations of society. And so we go back to the very root, the primary reference of the idea of marriage, This passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, did you know, is quoted four times in the New Testament, even by the Lord Jesus himself. And it is the very first time that God gives instructions regarding marriage. It is something that we must pay attention to because this is when marriage was created. And we're going to see God's design, we're going to see God's gift, and then we're going to see God's directive. So let's begin by looking at God's design for marriage and the family. You know, God is the author of marriage, and it is this passage that highlights that. So let's read together chapter 2 of Genesis, beginning in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And we ultimately know what happens there. He creates Eve. Now, in verse 18, God makes an observation. Up to this point, each day of creation, things have gone well. In fact, at the end of each day, God has said it is good. And then when he rested on the seventh day, he observed all that he had created. And Scripture says that God proclaimed it to be very good. But then something changes in chapter 2, verse 18. He says there was one thing that was not good. And it was not good that man was alone. And it was at this time that God purposed to provide Adam with a wife, a helper, God's Word says. I'm going to come back to that word in just a moment because it's very important. But we clearly see that God purposed to create the marriage relationship. Take notice of the number of times that we read the phrase, the Lord God, in these verses. Four times. In five verses, we read that phrase. What what is what are we to make of that? Well, we got to see that God is taking the initiative here. It is verse twenty one that says, "So the Lord God caused." In other words, He initiated this marriage relationship. Here's the point: marriage is God's idea. The family is His invention. God has designed the marriage relationship. The Bible doesn't say that over the course of time, Adam came up with a really great idea, fell head over heels for Eve and decided to propose for her and that these two created what would be known as the marriage relationship. No, marriage is God's idea. He's the designer and it is the foundational building blocks of the family and of society. And it's important to begin here with this underpinning because if God is the designer of marriage then God alone is the definer of marriage. If it's God's invention, then God alone gets to determine what it is. And God clearly defines marriage in the scriptures. How does he define marriage in the scriptures? Well, over and over, repeatedly, throughout the pages of scripture, not just in a few passages, but repeatedly, he defines marriage as a man and a woman in a lifetime covenant relationship together. That is God's design for marriage. But you know, we live in a world that seems to be confused about that, don't we? Uh, they, they have disregarded the instruction manual. Our culture has taken God's good design and has twisted it and perverted it and attempted to redefine marriage. We are told that marriage can be between two men. We're told that marriage can be between two women Our children are being taught that sex is predetermined, but gender is fluid. And I want to be sensitive and caring here, and we need to be very loving whenever we start talking about this very subject. But we cannot abandon the truth. Right? And I have to tell you that culture has lied. And culture continues to perpetuate this lie in the hopes that the next generation will believe the lie and assume that it's always been that way. But beloved, it hasn't. From the very onset, God has specifically designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, and we ought not, and we cannot compromise and accept the lie. You know, I'm convinced that the most loving thing that we can do for our culture is to hold marriage high and to proclaim it from the truths of God's word. Listen, we're not standing on some pre- uh, preachers' uh, opinion here when it comes to this, are we? Scripture is extremely clear. We stand upon the word of God, and it is the timeless word of God. And so therefore, God what God has designed, then God gets to define. I want you to follow me for just a moment here. It's in the context of creation that God institutes marriage. It is said that God made three major institutions. God created marriage, he created government, nations, and he created the church. But do you know what the oldest institution of God is? Marriage. Long before the church, long before nations... When Adam and Eve were simply in the Garden of Eden, God instituted marriage. It is the most sacred and the oldest institution given by God himself. And for one to suppose that they can begin to redefine marriage with the fact that it's interwoven into creation is to suppose to be God himself. To say that we could change even the creation of the world. If we can change what God has defined, then we are arrogant enough to say that we are God and that he is not. Beloved, that simply isn't the case. None of us can do that. And by the way, God says that he made us male and female. And these two shall be joined together in marriage. Again, not my words. God's words. He is the designer, therefore he gets to be the definer. This is what it means to have a biblical worldview. And listen, in case you need more support that God's ways are best, just look at statistics that prove culture's got it wrong. Marriage has been so devalued in our day and time that did you know that marriage rates are the lowest in the United States since keeping records in 1867? People are not getting married. 70 years ago, 80% of all U.S. households were married couples. Today, it's 49%. The average length of a marriage prior to divorce in our country is eight years. Studies show that the majority of couples that did not cohabitate before marriage stayed married longer than those that do. What do these statistics tell us? That God's got it right. Culture's got it wrong. And we ought to embrace God's design because it is for our benefit. It is for our flourishing to align our lives to such. The point is that God, it's God's design, and following that design is what is best. Secondly, <clears throat> we see that marriage is God's gift. It is God's gift. Seeing that it was not good for Adam to be alone, God created Eve. Eve. He gifted Adam with his wife. And what you and I need to know that God has continued this gifting to this very day. He has gifted you, your spouse. He has brought the two together. And before we begin to think that we are the ones that have come up with the idea of being together, let's hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, we must see each other as God's gift to one another. I know when arguments ensue, I know it's a challenge, right? But you need to see that person as God's gift to you. You see your spouse as God's gift to you. Let's look at the way Eve, or Adam viewed it. Pick up the story again in verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. I just want to explain this for just a moment as it fits and correlates to marriage being God's gift, because this seems kind of like a strange process, right? Right? I mean, Adam is all alone. He's naming the animals. He looks at something and he goes, that's got to be a mosquito, right? And so he calls it a mosquito. I think he should have squatted it, right? But it all seems a little bit out of place. Why would God send Adam through this process? One commentator I read said that in naming the animals, Adam most likely discovered that there were both male and female, causing him to see the necessity of male and female partnerships. That would have made Adam long for a companion of his own. And so God was taking him through this process so that he could realize, hey, I am alone, and and, and I need a helper. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, God made into a woman and brought her to the man. In other words, God satisfied Adam's greatest need by fashioning Eve just for him, making her. And then we read how God performs the very first wedding ceremony. say, how how do you get that? Well, God brought Eve, quite literally, down the aisle to Adam. And he instituted the very first wedding wedding ceremony and Eve was God's gift to Adam and Adam recognized it as such. How do we know Adam was was overcome with God's gift? Well, do you remember your wedding day? When I get to do uh, weddings, I enjoy watching the groom right before the bride comes down the aisle. I mean, they're like fidgety. They're like, you know you can almost hear him shaking i'm like are you gonna be all right dude it's gonna be okay like are you gonna pass out what's the deal and they're but then when the the doors open and there's his bride nine times out of ten they're overcome with emotion and they start crying it's the coolest thing you'll ever see why because it's god's gift to the man coming down the aisle set before his very eyes and by the way i think this is why we give the bride away i think this is why this is important in marriage relationships It's because it mimics the very first wedding and it causes us to realize the gift is god god has given us in each other and we also know that adam is overwhelmed by god's gift because in verse 23 he writes a poem I mean, you talk about a a romantic kind of guy. I don't know how good of a poem it is, but but he extemporaneously speaks a poem because of this incredible gift. Let's look at it. Verse 23. Then Adam said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I'm no Hebrew scholar. But I think he came up with that name because he sees his wife Eve standing before him and he goes, Whoa, man. And he was overcome with, with such gratitude for God's gifts. My point is, you see, you see how God viewed or how Adam viewed Eve, right? Here's my question: How would our marriages changed, change? Change? if we saw each other as God's gift to one another? I think if we truly saw it that way, I think, fellas, I think you would have more cherishing of your bride. Ladies, I think you would would respect your husband for the gift that he is. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like Ephesians chapter five, the way God intended it. The truth is that, that you are God's gift to one another. Now in verse 20, God creates Eve and he calls her a helper to Adam, a helper that's fit for him. I think it's important to point out that word because ladies, you might not like that word. Like, what am I just a helper? Like, am I an assistant here? What is going on here? Is it his world and I'm just here in it? That's not the idea of helper. Did you know that in the scriptures, God often refers to himself as a helper? Let me give you a couple of examples. Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 33.20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. When Jesus talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, whenever he would ascend into heaven in John chapter 14, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you Forever. God often refers to himself as a helper. Now, ladies, this does not mean that you are God, right? You need to know and understand that. But the point is, the word helper is a beautiful picture. God, I believe, is intentional in using that word of creating the sense of interdependence upon one another. You know, I've heard it said that God took Adam's rib from his side, not not from... His feet that he should lord over her, and not from his head that she should reign over him, but the two shall be interdependent upon one another, mutually submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beautiful design that God has created and the gift that he has created us. So we've looked at God's design, we looked at his gift. Now let's look at God's directive. God's directive. In this passage, God turns practical for just a moment. He he gives, uh, in verses 24 and 25, a directive on what makes marriage work. Let's look at it together. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Two things that I see as God's directive in these verses. First is the leave and cleave principle. God says that for this reason, for what reason? For the reason of a union of marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to, that's cleave to, cling to, his wife. Now this is extremely important. Same is true on the other side. A woman, I believe, is to leave her father and mother and be united cling to her husband it's a leaving cleaving principle for a healthy marriage to be established listen there has to be a change in previous relationships that goes for relationships with mom and dad and it also goes for relationships with friends now a leaving your father and mother does not mean abandoning your father and mother That's not the word he uses here. He uses leave and and cleave. And, And I'm convinced that one of the greatest threats to marriage in our day is failure to leave and cleave. We stay connected to other friends, and we depend upon them more than we depend upon our spouse. We stay connected to parents. I've seen that happen in such a way that we no longer connect with our spouse. It's God's design that, that we leave and we cleave. It doesn't mean abandon, but it does mean change in relationship. You are to leave your parents emotionally, spiritually, financially, and physically. And the reason why you do that is so that you can establish a new home. And by doing this, there's a shift. dependence upon your parents to dependence upon one another. Let's talk practically here for just a moment. How do you do this? And, and by the way, did you know what one of the greatest causes of conflict in a marriage is? Dealing with in-laws. I mean, that's a real issue, right? I mean, you've got the whole issue of what they would do that we're not doing, right? Then you've got the issue of holidays. What are we going to do? Oh, man, we're going to make somebody mad and you know all this kind of stuff. There's, it's a giant stressor. I think that's another reason. Leave and cleave to one another. But here's how you do this. It requires boundaries. Establishing healthy boundaries. And those boundaries are to be upheld by the parents and friends and the married couple. And these clear boundaries will produce a cleaving to one another. Let me share with you how this happened In in our life, when Kathy and I got married, we had a great, we had both enjoyed great relationships with our parents. I mean, our parents to this day have been extremely helpful uh, to us and have been a source of encouragement to us. And we had great relationships with our parents when we got married. But I'm also grateful for in-laws and for parents who understand the need to leave and cleave. And when you have in-laws and parents that do that, that's a that's a powerful thing because it establishes a new home. For example, let me give you an example how this played out in our marriage. Did you know, fellas, that the toilet paper roll is not designed to be a shelf? Right. Like I learned that the hard way. Right? No, you got to take the time. Don't save time and just put it on the roll. No, you got to take the roller off. You got to put the roller in the deal. Yeah. I learned this because it drove Kathy up a wall. And I remember one time she called her mother, and she started in on it. Can you believe what Chris does? And he throws his dirty underwear in the floor. And you know what? You know what uh, my mother-in-law said? She said Kathy, it sounds like you need to have a conversation with your husband, not with me. What did that do? It honored a boundary. It pushed us back to one another so that we could figure it out, so that we could establish our home, so that we could work together on that. That's that's powerful. And and you know, that was a small thing in, in, in the scope of things, and we've had much bigger things that Kathy and I have had to walk through, but that was a leaving and cleaving moment. It demonstrated a change in relationship, a change in dependence. Boundaries are a great thing. Husbands need to talk to his parents about boundaries, and wives need to talk to her parents and friends about boundaries. And word to the wise, married couples, surround yourself with people that will point you back to your spouse. You know, we live in a in a world that has so devalued marriage that they're willing to join in on the pity party and and tell you what you ought to do, when what you ought to do is sit down with your spouse. You need friends that are going to speak that truth into your life. You need to get back together. You need to get on the, the same page. You need to figure it out. Another thing that was huge for us is six months into our marriage, I graduated from seminary. And uh, I became student minister at First Baptist Church in Littlefield, Texas. Yeah, the reason why you've never heard of that is because it's in the middle of a cotton field in the middle of nowhere. Northwest of Lubbock, 35 miles. That's, by the way, where I learned the definition of a country mile. It's just different there, right? And we were eight hours from our parents. And we were all alone. It was there in Littlefield that we became parents. Carson arrived a year and a half after our marriage. And man, we were just trying to figure it all out. And you know what? We made lots of mistakes. We stubbed our toe. But Kathy and I look back on that moment as very formative in our life. We became what we call Team Wiggly. It's us versus the world, baby. And we tackled many different things together. But you know what? We became one. We established a new home and we were forced to in a lot of ways. Now, I know circumstances are always different and things change. But for us, I'm telling you, that was huge in the life of our marriage. Why? Because we were forced to leave and cleave. It's a powerful unity. That's God's first directive. Second directive is to experience true intimacy. God's desire is for you and I to experience true intimacy. And we're going to have an entire sermon on intimacy, so I'll only briefly touch on it here. But I want you to look again, verses 24 and 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The idea of one flesh being That of intimacy. Now, most of the time, when you talk about intimacy and you talk about marriage, everybody starts thinking about physical intimacy. But intimacy is so much more than that. Do you know the way you spell intimacy? The real way you spell intimacy is into me you see. Into me you see. It's the idea of being truly known and truly loved. Now, notice that God's directive is to become one flesh. I find that interesting. That word become is extremely important. It is that very word that means that this isn't an all-of-a-sudden deal. This is a time with intentionality development. And the idea of nakedness here is far more than nudity. It's the idea of being totally open and completely exposed, vulnerable with one another. Listen, God has created and designed the marriage relationship. And because he is the designer, he is the definer of it. And truth be told, if we will operate according to his design, I believe you'll experience happiness in your marriage and happiness in your family. Doesn't mean life will be perfect because there's no such thing. But I do believe it will mean that you'll be happy. Marriage is a gift from God. And we should praise Him for His marvelous gift. And God's directive lays the foundation to build a great relationship where we leave and cleave and are truly known and truly loved. God's design, the best design, and we order our lives around His design. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at TrinityTX.org. That's TrinityTX.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online simply log on to TrinityTX.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.